five things, how to get your prayers answered. The first is this, live righteously. What's that mean? That means value purity in your own life. This is a message that American churches are leaving behind. We're taking our cues for morality today from politicians and actors and, and, uh, and, and the, the media, the mainstream media, the news. We're letting them dictate what is good and right. But where is that all written for us in a love letter? It's written in the Word of God. God shows us the things that He values, the things that are pure, the way to live in His Word, and it has a big deal. It's a big deal when it comes to prayer, how you live. Look what it says in James 5.16. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Well, all of us have sinned, right? So we need to do that and get our hearts right. But it tells us the why here. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Huh, if that's true in forward, it's also true in reverse. A righteous person sees wonderful results when it comes to prayer. Reverse would be an impure, unrighteous person doesn't really get a whole lot going on in the realm of prayer. So we say, well, how can my prayers be more effective? I say to you, I say to the body of Christ, value purity. The Bible tells us that the pure in heart will see God. That's the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus spoke those words. The pure in heart, that's, that's both now and not yet. Not yet in that the pure in heart, that means when we get to heaven, we'll see him because we're pure in heart. But it means now too. The more purity, the more we value that, the more of our results we'll see as God works through our lives. So we live in an area where uh, intel is kind of a big deal in Hillsboro and around us, right? I read something that was kind of interesting when it came to um, cleanness. Uh, did you know that a typical cubic foot of air contains a million specks that are half a micron or larger of, of dust? A, a micron is one twenty-five thousandths of an inch. So in a, in a normal cubic foot, there's, there's um, a million specks of dust in it. Now, at Intel, their standards will not allow for more than one speck of that dust to be in a cubic square foot when they put their uh, microprocessors and, and those wafers together. They know that if, if they have too much dirt or too much uh, of those specks getting on those microprocessors that it mucks everything up and they don't function properly and you can't get information transmitted the right way. That's really interesting because the Bible says that the righteous person sees wonderful results and it's very similar to that. If you create a clean atmosphere, like, like all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God, right? We know that. Well, there was one speck of dust in that cubic foot there, and, and we're striving for perfection. But if you value purity, <clears throat> then, then, you're, then God can process a message through you and his heart to you in a greater way. It's similar. That cleanness makes a difference in the Christian's heart. David cried out, create in me a clean heart, O God. He valued it. He had made a big mistake. He had sinned against God. He knew what it had cost him, that sweet communion with the heavenly father. It wasn't the same. And he said, create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. That's so important for prayer. So people who ask God to do something for them and yet choose to live in sin often will come to the conclusion that prayer doesn't work. And they might be right. Because if you're into pornography and 
you have something that you want to be answered and you're living there and you know that it's wrong and you know that it's sin and you're asking God to do things for you and it feels like it's bouncing off the ceiling, it may be, that prayer may be. You say, man, that's harsh. Well, look what the word says, Psalm 66, 18. If I had not confessed the sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. And then the New Testament, and this is a context speaking to believers in John 9, verse 31. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he's ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. There's something about walking in his ways and being a righteous person, valuing that purity in our lives that unleashes our prayer life in a wonderful way. It's a big deal. Second thought I have about how to get your prayers answered. The Bible tells us that we should pray according to his will. Ask according to his will. Psalm 37, 4 says, Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desire. Let me talk to that for just a moment, because I, I believe that has to do with uh, finding his will as well. Let me tell you how. That word delight in the Hebrew, the, the root of it is to be soft or pliable. Delight yourself in the Lord. So it's not exactly what we, you know, being happy in God, but it's placing yourself in his hands and coming close to him so you're soft and pliable and he can do whatever he wants to do to impress things upon you, to put things uh, in the shape that he would like them to be, to bring about the result that he would like to have for your life. Be soft and pliable in the Lord's hand and he will give you the, your heart's desire. I, I was in a prayer circle uh, we were having prayer and fasting this week and I was with a small group and, and we were praying and someone at the end of our prayer time said something profound. They quoted that scripture, Lord, your word says, delight yourself, that if we delight ourselves in you, you'll give us the desires of their heart. And they said, I think what that means, God, is that when we come close to you, you show us your heart and that's what we want and we begin to pray for it. That's profound. That's profound because he shows us his, his will, and sometimes it's healing that's incredible that we wouldn't even think to pray about, and sometimes it's a step that we wouldn't have thought about that'll bring the direction and the results that he's looking for. Jeremiah 29, 11 tells, or I'm sorry, 29, 13 says, if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. So how do we find his will? Well, first of all, we look for him wholeheartedly. We start to hang with him. I love corporate prayer. It's powerful. We've felt it this week. I love small group prayer. That's one of the reasons I love life groups so much because you guys get together and you share life and you talk about each other's struggles and you begin to know one another and care for one another and then you, you really pray with your heart's conviction for your friends. That's awesome. The Lord is there and uses that. But there's another kind of prayer that I think the Lord values greatly and I think it proves our hearts a little bit and that's the prayer that's in the closet all by ourselves. There's really no other motive that you'd be praying for when you're praying by yourself than to really connect with God. Uh, let, me, let me tell you how the Lord uh, uh, convicted me once. I was praying before a large congregation. I was about to get up and pray, and I said, Lord, give me the words to say for these people. I'm praying, and God said to me, who are you talking to when you get up there? I wanted him to give me good words so they would like what I said when I prayed. But God was showing me the real heart of prayer is that you would just direct it towards me, not that I would direct you uh, to say exactly, share your heart, lift me up. And when we get alone with God, we prove that we, we seriously want to be with him. And that's where we find 
that he'll take and start to shape us and mold us and show us his will and his heart. Because prayer is not just talking. It's listening too, isn't it? It's finding the heart of God. Praying for his will. Because the Bible says the heart is desperately wicked and who can understand it? Well, when we get before God, God shows us not only the motives of our heart that might be off, but he shows us his heart that would be right on. James 4, 8 says, come close to God and God will come close to you. Part of my hope in this prayer series, Unleash the Power of Prayer, is that you would begin to value this personally in the prayer closet at home. And when I say closet, I mean by yourself in that private place somewhere. That you would understand the value of that. That you'd take even five minutes if you haven't done it before. And if, and if you have that discipline, God bless you. Keep with it and grow in it. But to be alone with him and say, Lord, I want to come close to you. I want to know your heart. It's powerful. Because in this, he will show us his will for the direction in our lives. That's where we find it. Someone has said there's three answers in prayer. Yes, no, and wait. But I want to add a fourth. Yes, no, wait, and I have a better idea. God has better ideas than we have. We don't always even know how to pray. No is an appropriate answer, by the way. So, so even when God says no, your prayers are being answered, right? Yes is an answer we're usually looking for, and often God will meet us that way as we seek him with all of our hearts, and, and we can bring into existence that thing that he wants to be. But often we, we try to direct God I like what Gary Thomas said in the Sacred Pathways. It's a devotional. Look on the screen. It says, to demand that God answer all our prayers with a yes is to ask for his omnipotence, which is power, without having the benefit of his omniscience, which is his knowledge. Omnipotent really means all power, and omniscient means all-knowing. Sometimes we come before God thinking we know better than he. Listen, I'm going to give you some credit. You're pretty smart people but you're not as smart as God. You're just not. None of us are. We're not even close. Not even in the realm. And so often when we come to him, we need to know his heart, not tell him all the time what to do. You know, I I hear people say, command God. I think if he's God, maybe it should be the other way around, you know. There is a God and he's not me. I mean, that, that that would be true for all of us, wouldn't it? So to know his heart and to seek him. Job 38.4, God says to Job, who's, who's even a righteous man, but is questioning God's path. He says, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. What he's saying is, hey, Bob, I put it all together. Don't forget. And I care about you. And I have a plan. So and let me talk about the realm of I have a better idea for just a moment that we might have something we'd like to see, but God is up to something else that's even better. A story of a man named Robert Preston Taylor. And during World War II, he served as a chaplain in battle. He participated in the Bataan Death March and spent more than three years in a Japanese prison war camp. When the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor on December 7, 1941, They also dropped bombs on Manila, where Taylor was stationed. Taylor, in that battle, would 
rescue the bodies of five fallen soldiers and would receive a silver star for it. So he's a courageous man, a courageous soldier. But he knew hardship in in this war because he, on that Bataan death march, and if you don't know, they started with 80,000 people and and they marched marched them for 55 days, or I'm sorry, 55 miles without food or water. And uh, of the 80,000 that started, only 4,000 survived the Bataan death march. Taylor was one of those 4,000. He was placed in a prison camp where worship uh, was outlawed, including burial rites. They wouldn't let you pray if a, if a soldier died in the camp. It was refused. But Taylor continued to minister, and when the guards discovered that Taylor was smuggling supplies into the soldiers, they put him in a four-foot-by-five-foot bamboo cell to live where he had to compete with mosquitoes and maggots for space. And they left him in a four-by-five bamboo cell for two months, 60 straight days, where he couldn't even stretch his body out. During that time, Taylor prayed, Lord, if you still have a purpose for me, let me live. On one of the few occasions his captors let him out of the box, he, he leaned on a bamboo stick to support himself, and he started right away to quote scriptures to the troops. After coming out of there, 60 days for saying things outwardly, comes right out and does it again. And when he was asked the POWs to bow for prayer, they grabbed him and threw him right back in the box. He was near death, and the prisoners of war there that he'd been ministering to began a prayer vigil for him. And they prayed for their chaplain around the clock, 24 hours. They shared the time. They hadn't prayed like that ever before. And God answered their prayers, and Taylor recovered. He came out of there. And years later... In a chapel service at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary on November 9th in the year 2000, a Brigadier General Jim Spivey was speaking to the students in the chapel. He was a church history professor, and he told Taylor's story, the story I just told you, to challenge the student body, and he said this, Taylor's recovery became a symbol of hope throughout the camp. They saw God answered prayer in the miracle of his recovery, and revival broke out in that prisoner of war camp. Isn't that interesting that instead of delivering him immediately, God used it to take the soldiers to prayer that they weren't doing previously. And then after he was delivered and they saw his body recover miraculously and he made it through, a revival broke out in the camp. Why didn't he deliver him right now when he wanted it? Because God had a better idea. You know, when the Bible says, take up your cross, it's pretty much letting us know that not everything is going to be easy in this faith that we live here on this earth. This world, the Bible says, is not our home. We're not to live for the temporal, which is here, but we're to have eyes for the eternal. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so God would use us, I believe that God would use me and perhaps even you to endure for a while so that his glory might be seen. But this is the beauty you can know of any hardship that the Lord allows in your life. He's up to something, and it's good. He's up to something that might touch others' lives, but it'll certainly bring glory to his name. And that's why we can trust his will. That's why we can, we can know that we can pray to him, and he's a God that will hear, and he will even show us his heart and give us the strength for the duration, and then he'll bring glory to himself in a way that we never even imagined. 
James 4, 3 tells us we can have wrong motives in prayer. And as Americans, we quite often do. We're kind of into, Lord, give me lots of stuff and keep me free from any struggle. Jesus had struggles, but they all had purpose, didn't they? James 4, 3, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. We, we, we're human. We can do that. That you may spend what you get on your pleasure. 1 John 5, 14, and this is the boldness we have in God's presence. That if we ask God for anything that agrees with what he wants. See, that's why we want to be soft and pliable in his hands. That's why we want to pray. Because often he'll give us the miracle right now. Because it is his will and we have to pray to bring that into existence too. He wants us to pray and have faith and believe. But when we're soft and pliable, he says, I'm kind of up to something you're not really aware of. Let me do my thing. If we ask God for anything that agrees with what he wants, he hears us. And when we pray, he shows us what he wants. If we know he hears us every time we ask him, we know we have what we ask from him. The third thing we need to get our prayers answered. <clears throat> we need to expect God to move on our behalf. He's good. He loves you. He's all powerful. He wants to do great things. He says that it is his will to heal, to save, to bless people. And when I say expect God to move on your behalf, that would be faith that we're talking about. An expectation. By the way, it's not faith in my ability to believe it. It's my belief in him that he's awesome and can do it. It's a little different. One's positive thinking. The other's faith in God. Listen to what he said in Matthew 21, 21. These things may seem juxtaposed. The one I just spoke previously about praying according to his will and this, but they're not. Because he'll show us what he's doing as we seek him. Matthew 21, 21. Jesus replied, truly, I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask in prayer. Jesus again said in John 14, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing. Whoa, let's stop for a moment there. What did Jesus do? He healed the sick. He healed the broken heart. He set the captive free. And he said, these things I've been doing, you can do, and they will be even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name. He even cast out demons. I'll tell you, a lot of what we call mental sickness today is demonic possession. But that won't show up in the media, but it shows up in the Bible. Jesus cast out demons six times in the New Testament. And there's so much power in God to deliver and set free. And he wants to give us these things as we come close to him and seek him. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified. There it is. Why do these things happen? So that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me anything in my name and I will do it. Someone asked me once, do you pray, when you pray for people who are sick, do you pray for everybody to be healed? And they were surprised to hear me say, yes, I do. Partly because I don't always know what God wants. I know he wants people to be healed. I know he has the power, and I've seen many people be healed. I've been healed by the power of God. 
And if you think I think I'm a big deal, I don't, because I, 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 I didn't do any healing. Jesus does all the healing, but I believe in him and his power. And when we believe, we can ask him, and he will unleash his power in great ways. Now, do I believe that everyone should be healed that I pray for? Well, I haven't seen that experience, and I haven't seen anybody else be able to do that. But I pray by faith they'll be healed, but then if they're not, I just trust him because he's great. I know he's great. I ask for it. If he's up to something else, then I'm going to trust the omniscient, all-knowing, all-powerful God. God is good and he's loving. And I believe we can ask him for great things. Did you know in Hebrews 11, it's called the faith chapter, right? Read it. Read it again sometime. The first part of the chapter is the part we quote the most because it's the most fun for sure. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Noah. By faith, Samson. All these great men and women of God are mentioned in the first half. They believed, they saw the miracle God provided, and it happened. But in the faith chapter, there's a second half to the chapter where the saints were being sawn in two and martyred. And check this out with your definition of faith. The Bible says that those martyrs that the world was not worthy of them. So, so God likes them a lot, right? These people, they haven't sinned. They're his. They were living by faith when they died. What? How can you die living by faith? I'm gonna tell you something. I saw Ron Mel do it at Beaverton Foursquare. They told him that he would die of leukemia in five years. He lived 17 years longer and you never heard him complain. Everything he spoke was faith and love and God and he just kept moving and that disease took his life. I'm going to tell you something. He was living by faith when he died. He preached almost every week in the, in the pulpit when he was sick, up right near to the end. You get just enough strength to stand in the pulpit, and you couldn't hardly tell. He was a big, strong man and a godly man, but he finally couldn't make it into the pulpit, and he sent word, tell him that I love him. Tell him to live for Jesus, and I'll see him someday. Ron Mel was living by faith when he died. So faith is really a two-sided coin, not a one-sided. By faith, we believe and we see a miracle. But the other side is by faith, we trust even when we don't see the miracle. They were living by faith. And God counts that kind of faith as righteousness unto us as well because we're trusting in him. Those martyrs, their blood became soil for salvation spreading throughout the land in those days. So we pray by faith. We expect God to move and we believe in him and we trust him. Then another thing I see in the Bible, be persistent in your prayer. Luke eleven five. Jesus says again, teaching them more about prayer. He used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread and you say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit and I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me. The door is locked for the night and my family and I are all in bed. I can't help you. But I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he'll get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. And so I tell you, keep on asking and you'll receive, and you receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you'll find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. 
when I was a young boy, we had four children. We had kind of a stair-step family of kids, all one year apart, boy, girl, boy, girl. We we actually sang a quartet in church and did all our parts and everything. We're just cute as could be. (laughs) But for some reason in our family, when, when something was desired among the kids and we wanted dad to do it, they would all come to me and say, you ask him, Stan. I think I know why they wanted me to do that, because I had shameless persistence. <laughs> I believed that my dad loved me. I believed he loved us all. I believed that if he truly knew the intensity of the desire that I had for this Snickers bar, that there would come a time when he would open up his wallet and make it happen. Now, he's a dad that understands what's good and bad, and, you know, the Heavenly Father knows much more what's good and bad and won't give us everything we desire because it wouldn't be good for us. But there's something about persistence. We heard it two weeks ago when we showed the video of, of the brothers, Rick and Dave. Do you remember that? Dave prayed 30 years for his brother to be saved, and his brother got saved. You prayed, too, that Rick would be saved. 30 years, and he didn't give up, and he kept hoping. He even knew it was going to happen. I mean, when he talked to me about it off the camera, he just said, I knew it was going to happen someday. Really? 30 years? And you just, he just kept at it. There's something about that that God likes. Why, why, would, that, why would he say it that way? I think sometimes he, he, he lets there be some distance and he waits for our persistence because he wants our hearts to understand that it's totally him. You ever pray for anything and it happens and you start and, and you got to be a part of the solution, but somehow when the story's told, God didn't show up as part of the solution. And so we, we give ourselves a lot of credit sometimes, yeah. You, you've heard the old story about the guy who's falling off the roof, he's working on a roof, he's falling off, he says, God help me! And his pants leg gets caught on a nail just before he goes over the edge. And then he says, oh, never mind, this nail caught me. We're like that. We cry for help, and then he helps us, and we say, you know, at the last moment, I reached out, and, you know, I was smart and strong, and I made it. <laughs> right? We, I, mean, I mean, that's, you know, that's, that's, uh, that's point blank uh, and, and, and a harsh way to say it, but the truth is we'll take credit. I think God wants us to know and come to that 11th hour at times where we know it's all him, where we deeply, our hearts understand and desire that we need him, that he's the miracle worker, that, that he's the one who accomplishes this. And he says, be persistent. And then the last thing I want to say to you about prayer, and you know, if you, um, one of the fun things about living in this day is, is I can search sermons too to see what other people say about these things. And I do, I like it. I lo- I'm weird, I love to read sermons. And I read a few this week about, uh, that people have written about how to get your prayers answered. If you Google that, you'll see a lot of them. And, and there were pretty common commonalities in all of them, but this is something that I didn't see in any of them, but I feel that the Lord would have us know this and it would help us. And I'm bringing it to you today. If you want to get your prayers answered, then trust him with the details. Prayer's not just um, talking, it's listening. And when you start to listen to God's heart and you come close to him, he'll reveal his heart and he'll even reveal steps to take towards the thing that he's called you to. I remember a place in the Bible where he told a guy to go, if he wanted his healing, to go dip in the river seven times and it bugged him. Why seven times? Could have been once. Well, listen, if God says it, let's just trust him with the details. Psalm 37.5, commit everything you do to the Lord, trust him and he will help you. 
So I, I just want to bring this element into prayer. And, and I guess jumping into this portion uh, of things is not only healing and not only miracles we'd like to see, but the dreams that he's placed in your heart. I tend to come back to those things, don't I? Because I know the Lord's put a lot of great things in you that are going to happen. Some of you are going to do incredible things for God, and you're in the beginning stages. You know the end, but you don't know the in-between. And the in-between's important. Because along the way, he's going to teach you some lessons. It's not, you know, why doesn't he just do it now? It's a big thing, it's a big miracle, it's something he's called to minister to people's lives. Why didn't he just bring provision right now? Why doesn't he just bring the people? Because, it, because there's a process that if you're going to be what he needs you to be when you get to that moment, you need to be built along the way. He's not just building ministries, he's building people. He wants to make sure our hearts are right and that we're ready to serve people. He wants to make sure it's about the sheep. God's not too fond of people or ministers when they love crowds and hate people. So he makes sure that it's about the sheep and that we're tested and that we love and it's coming from our heart and our heart is his heart. And that's process along the way to build us and to grow and, and mature. And he'll help us. Listen, first, first part of trusting him with the details. Listen and do what he tells you. God saw wickedness on the earth in Noah's day and he saw one righteous man. He said, I'm gonna destroy the whole earth and all its inhabitants. But I'm gonna save Noah and his family because of his righteousness. Thank God for the day of grace since Jesus has shown up, huh? And he disclosed to Noah, here's what I want you to do. He gave him some steps. I want you to build a huge boat. Did you know the rain didn't fall from the sky before this in the Bible? All the precipitation came from the earth below. This is all new. So this guy's believing what God's telling him, that rain is going to fall when he hasn't seen it. And he's so connected to God and God's showing him his heart. He says, okay, I'll start to build the boat, man. And he starts. And I find it incredible that he would have that kind of faith. Hebrews eleven seven, It was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. That would take a lot of faith. In the middle of, a, of land where oceans and lakes are far away, he builds a boat. And it's big. It's 400 feet long. And 40 feet tall. It's massive. Genesis 6.22, Noah did everything just as God commanded him. That took faith. But you know what he did? He just started taking the steps God told him. What is faith? Faith is finding the direction where God says go, pointing towards it and taking one step at a time. Right foot, left foot. Right foot, left foot. It's never a flying leap where God's taking us. It's one step at a time. And this brother started taking one step at a time and it was slow going, but he was faithful. He worked at it. He stayed at it. He trusted God with the details. You, th you think he might have thought along the way, hmm, hmm, I don't know, but I'm gonna be faithful. God said it, I'm going. I believe it's gonna happen because God said it. That was faith. And here's the second part of trusting God in the details. Understand that his timing is important and trust him. Let me just bring it to your dreams for just a moment. His timing's important. If you miss his timing, you've missed his will. If you miss his timing, it could be catastrophic for yourself or others. You might have the right thing, but if you have the wrong time, 
It's not going to work. So God will build you, and he will prepare you, and he will lead you, and he'll speak to you, but he wants you to know he has a timing. Now let's think of Noah again here. Do you know what the timing was from the time the Lord spoke to him to the length it took to build the ark when it started to rain? 120 years. That won't happen for you, I'm glad to say, because we won't live that long, right? But sometimes we want it in a day when it should take a week, or we want it in a week when it's going to take a month, or we want it in a month when it's going to take a year, or a year where it really is going to take a decade. All that's up to God. This is his stuff we're, we're working towards. This is his kingdom we're trying to build. And along the way, he's building you. He's preparing others. He's bringing people in. Noah is completely faithful, following and seeking the Lord, and it took 120 years, and then the timing hit. He was ready. He had built the ark, and the rain came, and the flood that was prophesied happened, and he was saved because he was faithful. He received the vision. He followed through, and the Lord fulfilled it. So, so I guess, I guess one of the things to know is, you, you know, sometimes we have dreams that aren't even God's, right? And that, that's a, for another sermon another day. But let's assume you've got the dream that is God's, all right, as I, as I, as I talk here. Uh, he, he's going to bring it about at just the right time. And so often we worry and we fret and we think we're, we're wrong or we're missing something or how can this be? Because today I hurt and the Lord said, yeah, the hurt was about some growth but you're going to be stronger. And I'm, and I'm building you and I'm maturing you and at just the right time. I like the scripture uh, where it says in Isaiah 49.8. Now this was written to the children of Israel and it, it was a, really a national prophecy, but it works for us too. It wasn't written to us, but it was written for us. It happens for us this way. This is what the Lord says. At just the right time, I will respond to you. On the day of salvation, I will help you. Timing is a big deal, and he's got just the right time for things. And so we trust him. We trust him. When my, when my wife was a little girl, she would ask that question that kids so often ask, are we there yet? But she would ask it in a unique way. And with my shameless persistence, I asked that a million times in the car. But my wife would say something like this, I want to be there now as a little child. And isn't that like us? We, we, we have this sense of where God wants us to be, but we want to be there now. Well, listen, if you understand he has a perfect timing, you could actually enjoy the journey a little better, <laughs> right? Because it's about the journey. And happiness is not the destination. It's the road for the believer. That's a big deal in your life if you figure that one out. It's not the destination. Do we have to get there to be happy? If we do, we can't be happy all the way till there. But one of the things my dad would do when we travel a long distance, he's, he, would, he would stop and let us go out and play. And he would stop and get us something to eat. And he wanted to make sure that we were enjoying the journey. And we learned how to travel. We liked it. We liked travel, all of us. And God wants you to know, look, you can be happy in the journey, even though the destination's gonna be a bit. So let's determine that we'll trust him that just the right time he'll do these things and know this, he loves you, he's for you. My hope is that you'll find a place on your own that you'll kneel down most every day and talk to him. 
Well, you don't even have to kneel down. You know what you can do? You can get up early and get a cup of coffee and just sit in a chair with him. It's kind of hard if there are other people in the room, but you can find a place. I heard one preacher say once that he was sitting in this room in the darkness with a cup of coffee talking to the Lord, and the Lord said to him, I like it when you meet me this way. I think that's a cool story. The point is that we would connect with him, that he wants to connect with us, that he wants to wrap his arms of love around us, that he wants to give us wisdom. We don't even know what the day holds, but he'll give us strength and power for that. And he'll give us that joy for the long run as we trust him. Even when some hard things are coming, we know he told me there'd be days like this. But he also told me I'd be victorious.